0: So we we got this picnic after church, you guys can do all the fellowshipping you want at that point in time, and I highly recommend it, but let's gather. If you don't know me, my name is, and I, I need to learn how close to stand to this, my name is Nathan, and I have the joy of serving as the worship pastor, except for this morning, here at Fellowship Baptist Church, my wife, Rachel, who Always by my side, and I—we've that we're in our thirteenth year of ministry here. Woo! Praise the Lord for that. Uh, we have watched our family grow to now four teenagers. So pray for me on that. Yeah, how how what percentage of my kids make up the? But uh, and I have the opportunity to lead the upper room Bible study on Sunday mornings, and we meet in the upper room, up behind these curtains and the balcony. And we've been working our way in that class through Second Peter, the fun and interesting chapter this morning, but what we have learned and what, what I've continually reiterated from Peter is that if Peter encourages us to be like Jesus... And if we want to be like Jesus, we need to know what Jesus is like, So we want to come this morning to learn about Jesus. And how do we learn about what Jesus is like? We look at him. And how do we look at him? We study his word, the Bible. I have really been enjoying this series we've been working through, Word for Word, and this style has been really fun for me and i'm excited about this morning but if maybe this style wasn't for you uh, don't worry next week we'll the tv will be gone and we'll be back to the familiar but this morning we're going to look at hebrews chapter 12 but before we get to hebrews chapter 12 i love a good illustration and this morning our text itself is an illustration and it continues on a metaphor that surprisingly and not intentionally we've been looking at for the past three weeks three weeks ago we were in psalm chapter one and we learned about how we should not walk in the way of the wicked but we should walk in the way of the righteous right then two weeks ago in psalm 23 we walked with the shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death and last week, uh, Ryan walked us through as we looked at First John about walking not in darkness, but walking in the light. This morning, we're going to pick up the pace. We're not going to be walking. We're going to talk about running, running the race. So if you would turn with me, if you will, in your paper Bible, your worship guide, your digital device, whatever you have this morning as we look at Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and how it instructs us, how it guides us, how it shows us who you are, what you're about, and what you're doing in our lives. Pray that you would be with us this morning, that we could be faithful to the word, and that the word would be what speaks and what we hear, that we would have eyes to see, to see Jesus and his him being revealed in your word. We ask this in Christ's name. The book of Hebrews is a sermon, basically, and here as we pick up on the penultimate chapter, we are kind of at the crescendo, would be just like the worship pastor to throw in a music reference, Uh, but we're right at the climax of the story as he is getting to where everything has been building up until we get to this point. And we know that the chapter divisions are not inspired, but here we as begin, chapter 12, we begin with this word, therefore. All right. And if you, one great tool in reading is when you see the word, therefore, you ask a simple question, and that is, what is it? Therefore, that's right. Therefore, since we are surrounded, surrounded would be a great place to put a circle, right? Surrounded by a great cloud, let's make a nice little cloud here, of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? Well, this is pointing us back to chapter 11. All right? Chapter 11 of Hebrews is what we know as the faith hall of fame or the hall of faith it's where we hear about and are reminded by about people such as that song this morning of moses and david and isaac of which christ is the true and better representative but yet we can go back and see how they came and how they lived by faith this is brent was sharing with us this morning God's design for salvation was by faith from the beginning. It wasn't a new thing. It wasn't an afterthought. And yet, these Old Testament saints, we look at as a picture of what it means to live by faith. Now, overall, as we're going to be looking at this this morning, we, we have this motif, this metaphor of the race. So we want to start to visualize what he means here when he's talking about a race. And I'm picturing us in the middle of some coliseum. And as you look around in the stands, those who are seated all the way around, this great cloud of witnesses, those that have gone before, those that have run the race. And I don't think that he is doing this as a point of intimidation, but as a point of encouragement to us. That we should be encouraged that we are not alone. And so this morning, we're going to remember your team. I'm on Team Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but let's be on Team Jesus together. Remember your team. This great cloud of witnesses, this cloud of witnesses is both, uh, both those who have gone before, but it's those seated in this room together with you today. No Christian, no believer, no follower of Christ should live in isolation. We come alongside one another. We build each other up. We encourage one another. Maybe we rebuke one another, but we rebuke it in such a way that we are trying to correct and lead, and so that we all would walk in that path of righteousness. Now there are a few words in this passage, this Hebrews 12 passage this morning that I think are noteworthy because they can connect a little bit to our English language and the way the words per- persist. And one of those, uh, for those who, who uh, took Greek in college, this word. You all know what that is, right? Okay. I'm going to write it for you in transliterated English. Looks something like this. But this looks like a verb, but it relates to our word, where we get our word martyrs. These witnesses, in particular, are also those who have given their lives and have suffered death in a consequence of confessing Christ. But we have these people who their faith was so important to them. This is not just the Old Testament saints, but it is shown between uh, through the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages until now. There are people every day that give their lives for the gospel, that are martyred for them, that are witnesses. My handwriting is a little bit better than this, but uh, writing on this screen is a little bit challenging. So let's remember the team that we're on this morning. If we're going to, our first step as we are looking at what it means to be a disciple, to fix our eyes on Jesus, and that's going to be our theme today. If there's one thing I want you to walk away with today, it's about fixing your eyes on Christ. Well, he moves on to talk about, he's giving the setting. Now we're going to start some focus, and he says, let us Lay aside every weight. I, I, I drew this earlier. Someone asked, "What is that?" So I'm gonna give you this. Here's your barbell this morning, right? Poor drawing, but but lay aside every weight. You know, June twenty eighth, two thousand five, a four man SEAL team was ambushed by Taliban forces after they had infiltrated the Hindu Kush Mountains. Their leader, a lieutenant Michael Murphy, climbed into the open on the high ground to make uh, an electronic distress call. Wounded, in fact, being shot 14 times, he yet still picks up the phone and makes this call. And as a result, at least one of his team members survived that ambush and, and lived now each year on Memorial Day, as in this past week, people honor Lieutenant Michael Murphy by doing the Murph. I've done the Murph. It is not a fun thing. It starts out by running a mile, and after you run a mile, you have to do 300 squats, 200 push-ups, and 100 pull-ups. Now, you can mix and match those in different sets however you wish, and then you run another mile. Now, if you want to be strict about this, which I was not, you wear a 20-pound weighted vest. Now, this is an image of the body armor and the gear that the military personnel would wear, and so I'm, I'm telling you, trying to do hundred pull-ups with a 20-pound weighted vest. Great job for those who have succeeded at that. And there is a place today for carrying extra weight, extra resistance when it comes to training. But when we get to the race, we take all that off. And it lightens our load. And it sets us on a better path. We want to, this morning, lay aside every weight. We want to remove... All distractions. What is it that is distracting you today from effectively running the race, living the Christian life? You know, Jesus offered to carry our weight. He says, come all who are weary, all who are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke. This is a trade. You guys, trade When I grew up, we were trading baseball cards. I don't know what they trade today. But as you trade things, uh, you know, is this a fair trade, a fair exchange? You want to make sure you're, you're trying to get the right deal? Well, I promise you today, as we are trading burdens with Christ, it is not a fair trade. We will always come out ahead on that side. But one of the greatest distractions, one of the heaviest weights that we still try to carry in our lives today, he says, That we should lay aside every weight, and this includes the sin, which clings so closely. You know, the word sin is an archery term. Many of you may know this. Draw my little bullseye here. Bullseye. Sin means to miss the mark when we don't hit the bullseye, when we don't hit the target. But this sin, he talks about the sin which clings so closely. This is an interesting phrase because this is not used anywhere else in the Bible. What does he mean about the sin which clings so closely? And he's continuing for us this race motif. You don't want to run a race with a 20-pound weighted vest, maybe in training, but not at the race time. Similarly, you don't want to run with something that clings so closely. This is one word in the original language that we get cling so closely i grew up reading and learning the king james this is the sin which doth so easily beset so easily besets us i don't know what that means the sin which so easily ensnares us or that is so easily entangles or that so easily hinders our Progress. The actual picture here that he's getting at is really one around loose-fitting clothing. Now in, for those of you who've seen The Chosen or have seen any sort of passion play or uh, Christmas program uh, with Mary and Joseph in it, men and women would wear long tunics. I remember Brent talking at Easter about the father running to the prodigal son returning home, and how unstrange it was and unusual it was in that day for men to run, partly because of the restriction of that tunic. And so the Bible has another phrase, or in ancient literature, has another phrase that talks about how to deal with this situation, and it's to gird up your loins. Now... Here for you is an illustration. I got this from the Art of Manliness. That's the website I got it from, people. But to teach you how to gird up your loins. but You can see the progression where this guy right here who wants to fight, wants to go into battle, has to run. He wouldn't run well like this. And so there's a method, uh, a, a way in which we would gird up our loins. So in the same sense, if we are... To follow Christ, if we are to to get rid of the sin which clings so closely, you've got to get rid of those restrictions, those things that are tying you back. We see this in modern sports culture today. Uh, I think of those Olympic swimmers, and they're like their full-body suits that are laser-cut and do everything to restrict drag. We should do everything we can in our power to proactively prevent sin from getting a hold of us, from just think of the, the old prank where the person's sitting down and the kid sneaks up underneath and ties their shoelaces together. That's why I'm not wearing shoelaces this morning. I don't, be, I don't want my shoelaces to get tied together. I mean, that's the sin that so easily entangles you. And yet, what do we do to prevent ourselves from being in situations that we can be led into this sin? there are some who, who will talk about this particular sin right here and to wonder, is this sin in general the curse of sin that is upon all of us or perhaps, perhaps for each of us and there is one or, or other particular sin that affects us more deeply than another. By illustration, uh, by God's grace, I have never struggled knock on wood, I don't know what that does, with the sin of drunkenness. Just not prone to drinking adult beverages to excess. It's not a challenge for me. Now, I have a a lot of self-control challenges. That's not one of them. But yet, I know that there are those that is a struggle for them. Now, it's Not upon me to look at them in any shameful way because they struggle with something I don't because I promise there's something I struggle with that they don't. But perhaps this sin right here is something that affects you in a unique way. You need to be mindful about that. In my youth, there was a musical group uh, called Everybody Duck. It's all written as one word. They, they didn't make it for some reason. My, my brother actually has reconnected with uh, the lead singer of Everybody Duck who's on pastoral staff out in Los Angeles today. But they had a song. They had a lot of songs that were metaphors. They had a song, one of my favorite song. Many of you may have heard me quote this before. I've quoted it in my Bible study class several times. They had a song called Susie's uh, Susie's Diet. Susie's Diet. This is just a fascinating song that I think everybody should listen to. But it goes like this. I'm going to recite this for you this morning. Susie has decided that it's time to lose some weight. So she must choose with caution just what foods go on her plate. She has chocolate milkshake powder that she drinks three times a day. And once a a week, a piece of diet frozen cheesecake is okay. But despite all of her efforts, Susie's weight won't go away. Because she works 30 hours a week at Sam's All-You-Can-Eat Buffet. Well, I live my life like Susie's diet. I surround myself by things I vow to give up, and I like it. And I'm bound to fail. We are bound to fail just like Susie. So if you know, if you've been able in your life to identify this sin that easily besets you, this sin that clings so closely, the sin that you are so easily ensnared and entangled by, what are you doing to proactively prevent yourself from going there? The drunkard should not live his social life at the bar. Susie, the glutton, should not work at an all-you-can-eat buffet. What are you doing to remove those distractions? As we move on, we move from the prep work. Let's get our equipment check done. We're going to take off the weight. We're going to get rid of the sin. That We're going to tie our shoelaces correctly. And now let us run the race. Let us run with endurance. I'm going to change colors again here. Run with endurance. Now, this word endurance here, we're going to make the connection that it's the same root as Jesus who endured the cross. We need to run the race. Now, the race motif in particular is not something Specific to the author of Hebrews. We don't know. The author of Hebrews is anonymous in the sense that he or she never gave you know, credit to their authorship. The audience clearly knew who the author was, but we don't know. It hasn't persisted to today. Many people have speculations about it. I, in particular, don't think it's Paul, but some people might. But Paul also used this, this idea of running, he says in a couple places 1 Corinthians 9:24 he says do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize so run that you may obtain it well we are all you don't have a choice if you are a believer if you are a follower of Christ that you are in the race you are running the race is an illustration of the Christian life we're all running We're all in the race. So if we're going to be in the race, if we're going to be following Christ, then we should run it, that we may obtain the prize. Paul says in his case, he was holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain. Don't run the race in vain. Interesting, I want to also, now that I've had this strong focus on the word race and building around this race motif. I also want to say that this word race may not just be a race. In fact, this word race right here. You guys know that word, right? Oh, let me write that again for you. It looks like this as we transliterate it, which Maybe you're picking this out. Looks very much like our English word. Agony. Comes actually from the same root word of when Christ is in the garden of Gethsemane. Comes out of the song this morning. Where he was in the garden of Gethsemane in his. And it talks about how he is praying and how he was suffering already at that point. Much Agony, the word actually is used by Paul in a couple places where he says, fight the good fight of the faith. It is more than just a race. It's it's what those Greeks would have referred to as those activities that are taking place in the center of the Colosseum, which can include a race. It can include uh, running, boxing, wrestling, and so forth. Paul says, fight the good agony, fight the good fight, run the good race of faith. In 2 Timothy, he's closing out to Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race, but this is actually a different word for race here, right? This is not the same word, this is a different word than we're looking at in Hebrews. Fight the good fight, keep the faith. Now, the starting gun is fired. We've done our equipment check. Starting gun goes. We are running the race. Now, if you want to successfully get to the finish line, the the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Okay, good. You're paying attention. If you are constantly looking at your feet, are constantly looking at the distractions to the left and right. Will you run a straight line? No. If the finish line is Christ, and if that's our goal, and that's where we're running to, then we need to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Our text says, looking to Jesus. You're going to see it. Here he says, looking to Jesus. Well, this word "looking" uh, in this is our ESV, but NIV says to fix our eyes. I was talking with someone this morning uh, as I as I was explaining, you know, how we need to fix our eyes today. I hesitated because I didn't realize the connection to say um, LASIK surgery. It's a different kind of fix, okay, people. It's a different kind of fix. This is about fixing your focus. <laughs> I knew Brian would get that. But keeping our eyes, to behold in the mind, to fix the mind upon, to look away from all else, to fix our gaze upon. Our gaze is to be on Jesus. I'm going to draw a little eye around Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, right? Look to Jesus Because he is the the founder and the perfecter of our faith. What does this mean? What does it mean? Well, the word founder, also other places, author. That's my King James right there, actually. He's the source. He's the originator, the chief. He is the first cause. We, We learned this last week. When we were looking at First John, that he is the beginning. He was there at the beginning. Jesus stands as the chief witness. It was he who blazed the trail and gave us the ideal model of the faith. He is the true and the better Adam. He is the true and better Isaac. He is the true and better Moses. All of those that have come before are the foreshadows. Now, they're great examples to follow. They're part of those witnesses. They're part of those martyrs. But he is the true and better one. And he is the one on which we fix our eyes and our attention as we look to Jesus this morning. He is the first, right? He is the last. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is... The Alpha, which is the first Greek letter, and he is the Omega, the last Greek letter. He is the author. The source. He is the perfecter. He is, for us, the beginning and the end. So we look unto Jesus who started it, who was there in the beginning, and who will be there in the end. Now, if we want to know how to run the race that is set before us, we want to learn how to run the race set before us, then we follow the model of Jesus who endured the cross that was set before him. And actually what it says, that is, what it tells us that is, it is a race that is set before us, this battle, this agony. When you th- speak of agony, you speak of the cross. What was set before Jesus actually was the joy. And it is through joy that he endured the cross. And so there's this line kind of connects cross, joy, and race we, want to, we need to run the race in the way that Jesus endured the cross. And Jesus endured the cross with joy. So we run the race with joy. In fact, it is this race, this fight, we fight for joy. We fight for the joy. The joy of the race. The joy in the agony. So he runs the race for the joy that he runs the race, he, his race is a cross, his agony is a cross. He does it for the joy that is set before him. Then it says, despising the shame. What does it mean that he despised the shame? Well, that despising means to disregard, to think little of. He thought little of the shame. You know, we talk about persecution today. And there's certainly persecution around the world. And there is persecution here. But when we think and when we talk about our persecution, you know, what when we talk about what it means, like if I were to be truly bold about my faith, what might hesitate me, what might hold me back from doing that, is mostly social pressure. I might be concerned what other people think about me. If I speak the truth of the gospel, that's the persecution in, in America today. The persecution is not that we fear for our lives, but we fear what others might Think about me. We fear it's all perception. Well, Jesus went to the cross. Now, the cross, is that where righteous people go? Do you think those who looked at this man carrying a cross and then standing on the sitting on the hill of Golgotha, those passers by looking up and seeing the three crosses up there, did you think? Hmm, I think one of those guys doesn't belong. Those who had no idea were looking, and they just presumed that he deserved to be there just like the rest. But he thought he had disregard for that shame. He had he thought so little of that shame and the shame that was the cross. And yet our we just worry about people's perception of us we are running the race. you know there I try to help people understand the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is a legal term right when we talk about but yet oftentimes we talk about feeling guilty, and really, what we mean is we feel shame. Shame is really that guilt feeling. Guilty feels right there. That's your, that's the feeling of guilt, is the shame. And this shame is all about, again, perception. We feel guilty because we have this, we're concerned with either our own perception of ourselves. Or we're concerned about how other people might perceive us. And that's why we feel shame. If we are redeemed, if we stand under the blood of Christ, we are not guilty today. When God looks at us, he does not see guilt on you. He sees the blood of Christ. That is both uh, major account balance zero But then has also added to your account his righteousness. Christ's righteousness is in us. So we have no guilt today, but what do we have to do to get rid of the shame? That perception of being, of disregarding just as Christ did, disregarding, despising the shame of the cross. And so he's despised the shame of the cross, and then now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this is what we have to look forward to as we run the race that we get to stand and sit in the presence of the Holy One for all eternity. All right. So, let's recap. Therefore, pointing back chapter 11, we are surrounded as a great, a cloud of witnesses, get our martyr here, let us lay aside every weight, remember our barbell, and the sin, which sin, is our sin, which so Closely. Cling so closely. Let us run with endurance the race. I'll give this one for you. You guys see the uh, checkered flag here? The race that is set before us. Let us look. Look to Jesus. The founder, he's the first, and the perfecter, the last. Of our faith. Before the joy, give a nice little smiley face here, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Despising, disregarding, setting aside, thinking little of the shame that is, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This cross remember we're going to make the connection between the cross our race and the joy and, it, and you know now that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God if you've been working with us through gentle and lowly you know that his work isn't done his work in salvation is done but he is just as active today as our intercessor Advocate. He is right next to the judge, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God today. So, what is your pace as you are running this race? How do you feel about your pace? I uh, I go running every now and then. Uh, I like to take my dogs. Uh, mostly because it wears them out and partly because I have this contraption of a, of a belt with these little bungee type leashes and uh, I give those, hook those to the dogs and then they propel me most of the way. It's, it's all about just keeping my feet off the ground and letting them pull me along as, as we run and I average around 10 miles, uh, uh, 10 minutes per mile. That's the average. I like to try to be right around... 10 minutes per mile. Now, that's not a great pace. Uh, there are marathoners who run 26.2 miles at half that pace and how they do that and the, and the training that it takes to get there. But as we're running this race, where's your pace? And what, And are you at the same pace you were at last year? five years ago, ten years ago? Where has your growth been? And if your pace has not changed, is it because you still have distractions? Is it because you've forgotten your team? And you forget that there are those around you who would want and encourage you on. You know, that a lot of those who train for marathons, you know, few, there are a few that train for marathons all alone. But most... Try to get in a running club, they try to get in and run with others because they are encouraged and spurned along because they are running alongside others. We run alongside one another. You don't have to run this race alone, you don't have to run this race carrying the encumbrance of weight and distractions and the sin that entangles you. Your team will help you out with those things and they will store up where you are lacking you, is your challenge because you get sidetracked, got a little ADHD in that race. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus and knowing that he has been that true and better Adam for us, that he has as the beginning, and the end, and is set down today. What is distracting you today? What holds your attention? What is taking your eyes off of Jesus? Is it your career, money, kids, school, your image? What are you doing to promote your image? Social media, is it things of some sort? What is it today that is distracting you? And as you're running, does it feel like two steps forward, one step back? But most of all, are you looking at Jesus? And by looking at Jesus, I'm not talking about coming on Sunday mornings and sitting here where you are and hearing the word proclaimed. You can't you can't survive on one meal a week. you got to look at Jesus daily. Because maybe this is the, maybe you come and you look at Jesus on Sunday and then you start to wander off throughout the week and then you come back on Sunday and then you wander off and then you come back put him ever before you ever fix your eyes upon Jesus in closing I'm going to go to uh, numbers chapter 21 numbers is a very often overlooked book of the Bible because it's got a lot of numbers in it some people are not a fan of numbers but numbers chapter 21. Beginning in verse 4, maybe a familiar story, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness says, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden, and the people became impatient on the way. And The people spoke against God and against Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Well, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. So that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpent from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who has bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now why is this such, why is this an important story for us? Well, it's because, Jesus makes an allusion to this story in what is perhaps one of the most read or most familiar passages of Scripture. In John chapter 3, verse 14, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him, that whoever looks to Him, that whoever fixes their eyes on Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him did not perish, but have eternal life. This morning, let us look to Jesus and live. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for those who have gone before us, who have given us good examples that we might follow in them. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for Jesus and the example that he set. As we get so bogged down with the things of this world, with the distractions, With things that are around us, that we lose focus. I think we, we desire, we want to follow Christ. But yet there's a weakness among us. There's those sins that are tying our laces. There's those burdens that we carry that if we are honest with ourselves, we know we shouldn't. And we forget about Jesus sometimes. To help us to turn our hearts, to turn our minds, to turn our eyes. To look to him. To live in the light. To walk in the light. To run the race. Help us to fix our eyes, our gaze forever on Jesus. Jesus. May he be the one who gets the glory for that. May he be the one that is lifted high. May he be the one who draws all men to himself. We love you. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. We're going to respond in song, and we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. Would you stand with us?